good afternoon and welcome to Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet and uh, this is not working. Uh, Patty, could you uh, talk into the microphone? Can you hear me now? I can hear you. Okay, there I am. Okay. Uh, welcome to Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet and uh, I'm here with the late Patty Fink who is remarkably early today, but I think that's because of our guests. Our guests today are Louise Young and Vivian Armstrong. They are the world's oldest, longest-running LGBT couple. Good way to describe you? Well, it works. We're only 74. Okay. Um... You know, we were trying to come up with how do I introduce them and what did they do before both retiring. Uh, Viv was a community health, home health expert. Nurse. Nurse. Uh, and uh, Louise was, well, she started her career as a land use geographer and became a, so- a senior software librarian. She started with Texas Instruments, ended up with Raytheon. And is that microphone about to pop up in her uh, face? It is. Okay. Um, can you hold the microphone there, Louise? Yes, I can. It's got Good. a lot of resistance on it. Okay, I got it. Okay. Uh-huh. okay. Good. And we're just getting settled at microphones and uh, uh, we're going to talk. Last week we had on guests who were putting, who are presenting uh, an LGBT history conference, and we thought we'd talk a little bit about LGBT history in Dallas over the last, oh, 50 years or so. That You've lived here since when, 1976? Right. We came to Dallas in, uh, this is Louise, um, and we came to Dallas in the fall of 76 because uh, I had secured a position with Texas Instruments and Viv um, was able to get into Texas Women's University to work on her master's degree um, in home health nursing. And at the time, um, Texas was somewhat desperate for nurses and she automatically got in-state tuition, which was a plus. Um, I mean, desperately needing nurses is something, seems like we're always desperately needing nurses. Mm-hmm. So um, before we get to that, the reason we're having uh, this wonderful couple on is because they're celebrating their 50th anniversary this year. Now, your anniversary was actually in April? Yes. Um, but 50th anniversary, that that's big. That that's deserves big. a whole year. Well, it had to because... COVID's kind of messing with it. Um, Louise was going to have back surgery in January and everything was going to be fine. And then that had to be postponed because of COVID in the hospitals. And so she didn't really have her surgery until the beginning of April. And so she was inpatient rehab on our actual anniversary in April. And so, you know, she needed to stay there and complete that. So we just kind of said, well, you know, we're 50th all year long. We'll celebrate later. And so we're still waiting for COVID to kind of settle down so that we can actually have a very safe celebration. And I hope you consider this to be part of your celebration. Um, 50, that's like what? Jubilee? Like what? 
It's golden. It's the golden. Right? golden. Yeah. Golden anniversary. Yeah. A, that's a big, big celebration. Yeah. Fifty I, years. Fifty. Yeah. You know, they say marriage is so daily. Um, <laughs> and for fifty years daily. Yeah. Wow, that's some stamina and some commitment. I mean, that's yeah. That's pretty damn amazing. Well, Patty, <laughs> that's how we got into this in the first place. Is I think we both were people of commitment. You know, and it has something to do with it. And that's what I want to get into is how or what is some advice that you have for people for staying together for 50 years? Well, um, I always say that um, the best way to stay together is just don't move out. Don't part. Um, make the commitment. Yeah, make the commitment it. and stick to it. And I had wonderful role, role models uh, with my parents who were married 49 years before my father passed away. And uh, so I had grown up with committed, in a committed family and when I met Viv then I I would say it was love at first sight it sounds so trite but it really was love at first sight we met um, at the University of Colorado in Boulder I was finishing the work for my doctorate and Vivian was uh an intensive care nurse at the Colorado uh, Medical, Center. Medical Center in Denver, and she had made some friends with uh, lesbians in uh, the Boulder had um, a uh, LGBT group. Um, of students and non-students. It wasn't officially recognized for the university, but it existed all the same and had, uh, I guess, what, Friday night dances. Mm -hmm. And this particular event where I saw Viv was uh, at the annual World Affairs Conference in Boulder where uh, there were panels and speakers on various topics and one of the panels was on lesbians, and the population of the panel was all older white men. <laughs> and I bizarre. think, yeah, it, very strange. Including, Viv can yeah, tell you a little a bit Hollywood about it. Including a Hollywood movie producer, and you can imagine what kinds of films he produced. Oh yeah, at, in that era, in '71, and so it, you know. It, we, the women who have, of the um, Gay Liberation Front, um, confronted the administration and told them that there would be civil disobedience and the program wouldn't go on anyway unless women were included in the in the panel. And somehow or other, I ended up getting to be one of those women who was up on the stage. And Louise was in the audience because a friend of hers, who ended up becoming Mr. International Leather at another point in his life, uh, <laughs> was a, actually a student in one of her classes as a teaching assistant. You know, the two of them had come to the program. 
That's right. And I saw Viv on the stage, and uh, she was just the cutest thing I'd ever <laughs> seen in my life. <laughs> and I thought, I have, I have got to get to know her. I've got to find out um, where the women of the Gay Liberation Front meet, and I, I've got to get to know Viv. Mm-hmm. And so I found out where the meetings were, and so I started to go to the meetings, and uh, then I got to know Viv. And, and, and uh, Viv, yeah. you didn't feel like you were being stalked? I was stalked <laughs> to begin with. She left out that part. Uh, and the Guava Bomblets that I don't think exist anymore, an improv group at our 25th anniversary, um, ended up reenacting some of this. Louise did see me uh, there on the stage for that program. She came up on the stage. I remember what she was wearing and I noticed her. However, she did not speak to me and I did not speak to her. But I learned later that she followed me across campus when I was going to my car, going tree to tree, you know, like a little spy. You know, where's (laughs) where's this chick going? And uh, and that and so you know they actually reenacted that whole thing which is just you know oh my goodness but um she you know we did start to get acquainted and see one another at meetings and start going out and she was living in boulder and i was living in denver and she used to drive down some days and just put flowers in my room and yeah and i was working all crazy shifts i rotated shifts you know eight hour shifts around the clock different days different ones so um, my schedule was really crazy, but you know we would make time here and there to to get to see one another. And she was, you know, she was driving down from Boulder, or I was, or I was going up to Boulder because there were activities. And that was actually that that on the world um, world affairs conference. That was my first real activist thing, and it's been that way ever since. Mm-hmm. Wow! So love at first sight, and and a, across a crowded room. Really? That's right. <laughs> in a, in a very crowded activist room. sort of way. You know, here we go. Okay, so I want to go back to your advice and other advice that I've gotten from other people. Mm-hmm. So from Aaron. Mm-hmm. My other half. Your other half. My better half. Um, her advice is two cars. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, because um, most, pe- most people um, travel together on the same time frame, and some people don't. And some people don't. And some people don't. That's right. Yeah. 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 That's, I, that's I, kind I, of that's advice. Very good advice, Aaron. And uh, we still have two cars, even though we're retired. And uh, um, actually, the, we spend a lot of time trying to keep each other on schedule. Yeah, and it's an effort. Yeah, it, we it, understand. And Erin's given that up. <laughs> she gave that up years ago. <laughs> no point fighting a losing battle. Um, Rabbi Frank Joseph, uh, he and his wife have been together for 25 years. And his advice was let your partner truly be themselves. Don't try to make your partner into anything they aren't. He said, Lori's a journalist. He, in his position as a rabbi, has to be very uh, diplomatic, uh, but he just lets her speak her mind when, uh, uh, when she she's going to. And she does. She does, <laughs> yes. As a journalist. Colorfully. She certainly does. Um, 
the two of you are always Viv and Louise. Or Louise and Viv. Or yeah. Louise and Viv. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. you're not always Viv and Louise. You're sometimes right. Louise and Viv. Mm-hmm. And completely interchangeable. Um, how, how do you let each other just live each other's own lives? And um, how separately do you do things? Or have you grown to, well, these are our interests and our interests, we do them together? Well, I think that we recognize that we have interests that we share and then we have interests that we don't share Mm -hmm. and we realize that's okay and particularly um, since we're both retired now and Viv said I think she may have said uh, for for those of you who could hear her she's 74 well I'm 74 too (laughs) and that's actually has made it um, I think easier for us to relate to each other because growing up we saw the same TV shows Um, you know our fathers were both World War II veterans Um, so even though she grew up in California and I grew up in southern Oklahoma there's still a lot of commonality and I think it's been helpful to us Uh, I don't know that it's necessary for success but it helped us Mm -hmm. yeah we have a lot of shared you know, memories and, and experiences and culture that came, particularly because of how communications were in that during the time. Like she said, there were, you know, there were three TV channels. There were, you know, you had time and you look and, and life and those kind of magazines, and that's where everybody got their information. And so it was, even though you were in different parts of the country, you had that to share. And, um, you know, it's not the case now. We have so many different channels and so mm-hmm. many activities that people can come, you know, from very different places within five miles of one another. I remember we found out that we used the same Latin textbook in high school. Um, Chapter one, you know, pick them, nick em time. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know going that? going on a pick em, nick em. <laughs> um, But um, I think the... There are some things, though, that do make for an easier um, or make longevity easier. And one of those is political philosophy. (laughs) And I recall the first time Viv um, asked me, for coffee uh, after uh, seeing her at, at the bar uh, at the gay bar in, in Denver uh, and they did call it a gay bar back then in 71 and um, 
I just needed to know that she was a Democrat because <laughs> it wasn't going any farther. It was not going any yeah, farther. Yeah, she does kind of look like she could be a Highland Park Republican. <laughs> no way. But I said, I've got to ask you this before this goes any further. Are you a Democrat? And she said, yes, I am. I said, but what have you done for the Democratic Party? (laughs) I needed to know a level of commitment there. Mm -hmm. And she said, she explained that she, in college, she was part of Youth for LBJ, uh, and that's uh, President Johnson for those (laughs) younger viewers, uh, or listeners, pardon me. Um, So... Yeah, there there are some things for me that you you have to have in common to make the relationship one that's an enduring one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I came from a Republican family. Did but you? I was a rebel. Oh yeah, when I got to college, it was like Mm-mm, doing that anymore. I sat there, and Reagan had become governor of um, the state of California, and we had uh, disagreements at the dinner table, okay? <laughs> and uh, and that's just, you know, I, I just went off in a very different direction. And um, and that, so that's how I had that kind of orientation and experience when I met Louise. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I do think that, you know, there probably are some things that, that a person, couple, does need to have in common, and then there are other other things that it's nice to have differences you know well there's an article today in in today's washington post about um people who are dating and suddenly find out that the person they're dating is not vaccinated whoa and that's a that's a game changer for almost almost 100 percent for the for the people they researched i'll bet it is i'll have to look at that i have a subscription on online subscription it's an it's it's interesting it's an interesting we concept. need to take a break uh, you're listening to lambda weekly on 89.3 knon fm two of my favorite people are our guests today uh vivian armstrong and louise young we'll be back more with viv and louise right after this hey guys i'm cd Kirby, and you're listening to lambda weekly on 89.3 knon fm and this is Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON FM. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with the late Patty Fink. Lauren will be back with us next week. Our guests are Viv and Louise. And I, I always say that like no other introduction is needed. Um, but Viv and Louise have been together uh, as a couple for 50 years this year. They celebrated their 50th anniversary, oh, about six months ago. But it's a celebration year. Um, some of the things that they've done, they were the first same-sex couple from Texas to marry. And they went up to Vermont, and that's where they made it legal. Uh, and did that, like, I guess within the first couple of weeks of uh, civil unions, July it was 20, at the time. We were July the 24th, and it became legal on July the 1st. And then they were the first same-sex couple to ride on a float in a presidential inauguration. So, uh, Louise... Your insistence that she was a Democrat, look where it got you. (laughs) In the parade. In the parade. We wouldn't have been on a float, I don't think, in a Republican Republican inaugural parade. Right. (laughs) And for the record, that was the um, Bill Clinton. Yes. It was uh, Clinton's first first. inaugural. 
the yeah. family of the, America float. How did that happen? Um, well, uh, I had taken uh, a sabbatical from my position at Raytheon to um, work on uh, some political campaigns uh, in Texas. And it was through the connections I made uh, while working for various candidates that uh, I, I found out about the uh, parade uh, float the family of America and I made some inquiries and um, they said well well we'd love to have you and um, it was a wonderful experience and also the uh, a picture and a story about uh, the picture of us on the float and the story about our relationship was in a book called Uncommon Heroes. And wow. How, how did that happen? Well, um, and I'm trying to think. Um, I don't remember. I think I, <laughs> I and I'm trying to think it one of our friends and I'm having a senior uh, I'm having a senior moment maybe somebody will call in and um, and, and that's okay I mean we were talking yeah. for about an hour before the show and Patty was here even for part of that 50 years he didn't have a chance to tell me all the details no <laughs> not at all but, um, so I, I'm sorry yeah. to surprise but you, you know, with the, some the questions. The thing about that float is I remember a Republican co-worker lamenting to me that there were only two uh, entities in that whole parade from Texas. And one was, um, one was I think, the Oaklawn Band and mm -hmm. Louise and I from all of North Texas. And I think that there was a group from down in uh, Houston was the other. And other than that... Um, they couldn't find, I guess, any other worthy folks you know, <laughs> for Clinton's inaugural parade. <laughs> oh, it was a drill team from Houston. Yeah. I mean, and it wasn't uh, uh, an LGBT drill team. It was just, a, uh, I don't know, a high school drill team. But the Oakland Band. And the Oakland Band mm -hmm. played yes. uh, during the parade. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. And that yeah. that was really that was really great. That that was. And that was the entire presence of the LGBT community in that parade if that, I remember. That yes. is correct. Mm -hmm. So all from right here in Dallas. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember we were waving rainbow flags and uh we were looking for some rainbow paraphernalia cuz I'll tell you it was cold that that it was, inaugural it was is below 20 degrees the whole dang day. Wow. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I think the only entries that were comfortable was a marching group of Eskimos from <laughs> Alaska, and I'm serious about that. Everybody else was very cold, and we had on some heavy black coats, and then we had bought some of those luggage straps that were rainbow. rainbow uh, we wore them as the, banners. The rainbow <laughs> striped, and so we wore those across our chest. But, you know, our 
um, political enemies were there watching for us because a couple of times along the parade route, people would come up and they go, there they are, and they would be taking pictures of us. So that we became famous in the anti-gay videos that they were produced from that as well. Because I mean, it that, was so yeah, terrible. Because, that oh, it was, yeah. I mean, there they were, this, these two women up there, you know, on a float. You know, mm-hmm. oh, we look pretty wholesome. I mean, here these two women, <laughs> cold. And they, and Do you know how cold your teeth get when you smile all the time? Oh God! Oh, yeah, I have empathy for all of those. You know, people who do that now. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a smile from Viv uh, into the microphone, so everybody could see it. Um, okay, so th- one of your other claims to fame: you were the first couple from Texas that we know of. They went to Vermont to get a civil union. That's right. It, that we know of. That yeah, we, I, that I we know of. There might have been, been. Yeah. There might have been another were, couple or two. There were people that rushed up right after that, but I'm not sure of anyone who preceded us. And but they the might not have been thing, from Dallas, so it doesn't count right. from being. But the nicest thing is the relationships that we developed during the time that we were there. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, town clerk that held the first civil union. She opened the office at midnight to accommodate uh, a couple there locally in the Brattleboro area. And so that was the first civil union in the state. Um, She became, she and her family became our friends. And the woman who performed our civil union as a justice of the peace became our dear friend as well. She had me when we moved up there um, already on the local Democratic committee before I set foot in the state. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. And yes. and our listeners should note they actually moved for a year or two, uh, two years up up to Vermont to live that equality. Yes. Right. Because although you anyone from any where could go to Vermont and give us get a civil union, but to have the benefits of the civil union you had to be residents of Vermont. So um, we wanted to have the whole experience and it it just was important to us. So we pulled up stakes and uh, You transferred to, with your job. And I, I was able to... Uh, they ran uh, away from home. We ran we away from home. We left you guys behind. We did. But you and came back. We, yes, did. we did. We did. It was just too hard for the long term because um, my job, there were no uh, Raytheon plants in Vermont... Uh, so I had to commute, and it was about a two-and-a-half-hour drive one way mm. uh, to Sudbury, Massachusetts. And uh, so I would go down Monday morning and come home Thursday evening, and then I'd work late uh, the nights of the week, the so four nights a week. that's not what equality looks like, because nobody else in your office had to do that. No, no, that's true. Yeah. That's a that's an excellent point. Mm-hmm. That's but on, a very but on the other point. hand, we might have had that whole thing fall through because we were scheduled to um, have the movers come on the fourteenth of of um, September, the thirteenth, right in there. But on nine eleven, yeah, almost like that. Nine eleven happened. I was supposed to fly up to Boston, which was going to get me, and we were going to drive up to um, to Vermont and close on our house. 
you know no planes left that day. I was right, getting right. ready that morning, you know, having coffee, had the TV news on. I, you know, the first plane hit. When I saw the second plane headed for the World Trade Towers, I knew it. I called her. She, you know, went down to the cafeteria to watch it on TV. So I wasn't going to get to fly. Our civil union had taken place in, in the same town there in Brattleboro, so that it was on file in the clerk's office. And because of that is the only reason that Louise was able to close without me being there, because she was my spouse. Because otherwise, you know, no um, powers of attorney, you can't, they would not accept a fax of a power of attorney or any of that. And so before we even got there, our legal status had already come in very handy. So and when you I exercised those rights exactly even before you got there, and, and when I went to register, you know, the cars, there was a little space on there that even said that if you, you know, if you check that box, that if you're uh, related that way, that if there was a you know traffic accident or something like that, that immediately the property, you know, would just transfer to the other partner, and it's like you know. That was the first time that we saw stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it was it was really amazing. And people up there were so nice when they found out when we were introduced and stuff. They were like, "Congratulations!" I mean, everybody was so happy about it there. Not like Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> well, parts of Dallas. Parts of Dallas. parts of Dallas. That's yes. and that's true. I, and I we really do have to make that distinction because. Um, now, Dallas, uh, at least as far as elected officials, have a, a lot of Democrats in office, mm-hmm. almost. Lots of support. Lots lots of support in Dallas. Um, Texas as a whole, <laughs> not, not so much, but Texas is, is home to us, and that's where our, our friends are. And... Uh, I know that you made, Louise, you made another first within the Democratic Party. You were the first out lesbian to be a member of the state Democratic Executive Committee. And that's true. I was uh, first out member elected to the state Democratic Executive Committee. And for listeners who don't know what that is, it's kind of like the board of directors of the Democratic Party. In the state of Texas. Uh, in the state of Texas. And uh, I represented, uh, it was then called Senate District 8, and it stretched from Oak Lawn all the way up to the city of McKinney. So um, I... Uh, you campaigned all over it. She I went did. everywhere. I did. I campaigned at all the different Democratic clubs and I made uh, I had a list of promises that uh, I made one of them was I would only serve two terms and I kept that promise I kept all my promises and I think that uh, the folks in the Democratic Party in that Senate district really appreciated the representation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that that I provided that's that's just really really awesome and we were talking last week about with um brianna and with robert emory um uh, from the dallas way um about harriet meyer 
Mm-hmm. Uh, can you can you share that story of learning about We had moved George? back not that long before that happened. And President and, George W. Bush had been in office and he yeah. nominated his attorney, Harriet Meyer, a doomed nomination anyway, to the Supreme Court of the United States. And you heard you heard about this news and yeah, action. And, and I called Louise. I think I was home, and I called Louise, and we talked about it. And actually, some of those papers were um, the questionnaires from the Dallas Gate Political Caucus, DGA. Had, uh, actually, it was the Dallas Gay and Lesbian Alliance. Okay, well, I might... The PAC. Yeah, it, yes. The PAC. And so, you know, the questionnaires that were used, um, the written ones that the... Um, candidates submitted over the years had been in file boxes and were actually at that moment in our garage and so um went out there and went digging through it and found harriet's um miss harriet's uh questionnaire and it wasn't exactly the kind of person that you'd want to support in terms of her positions in fact recalling her screening interview um, people were wondering why she was even there to begin with um, because her positions were not at all supportive. And um, it turned out that um, what you took it and, and sent, make, faxed it different places and uh, boop, right. all of a sudden she was no longer a candidate. I remember refreshing CNN.com um, and boom, there it was, the big bold letters. Um, about this this document that you had sent, I believe, to HRC, and then HRC yes. had, had mm-hmm. sent it out. Yeah. Um, and that really shut down her nomination. It was pretty doomed in, to begin with because she wasn't really qualified. At no, all. she was. She really wasn't qualified, but it did doom it, and it was so strange. Uh, here I was uh, up in Plano at my cubicle. <laughs> <laughs> trying to get some work done, and the Washington Post is on the line. <laughs> and uh, I had to apologize to some of my neighbors in adjoining cubes, and I said, uh, I'm really sorry. And they said, oh, no, these are fascinating conversations. <laughs> <laughs> and just for clarity for our listeners, Harriet Myers at the time was – we had you had the document because she had run for Dallas City Council, correct? And I believe she won one term. Yeah, um, she only sorry. ran once. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was one of the very, very few city council people since we went to the fourteen-one uh, system, who ran once, didn't really care for the job, and did not run for re-election. Um, you know, the thing is, when she became Republican Party chair uh, for Texas, she served one term. Uh, and every job that she had had was one term. So I was all in favor of her becoming George Bush's appointee to the Supreme Court because I figured <laughs> she quit. You know, she was. Yeah, but close. one term's a lifetime term, David. <clears throat> at the Supreme Court. No, but she would have retired. <laughs> well, you know, and it was very odd to have her there in front of the screening committee of the Dallas uh, Ooh, Gay and Lesbian. Al Calkin was livid that she was there. And you mention who Al Calkin is. Oh, well, Al Calkin was a long-time, you know, gay political activist, and he, you know, leader in that regard, and he took her political um, consultant and, you know, had words in the hallway 
that were just unbelievable. I mean, it was just, you know, because she was so inappropriate to even bring for screening. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, but good for her for trying. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> trying. Yeah. And for talking to the LGBT community. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who was the mayor who came to speak at uh, DGLA at a meeting, and the next day the Dallas Morning News got wind of it, and he said, well, I had no idea what the group was. So that when Ron Kirk became uh, mayor and we invited him to come speak and he spoke, he said, thank you to the DGLA, the Dallas Gun Lovers uh, (laughs) (laughs) Association, for inviting me to speak, you know, completely making fun of his, it wasn't his predecessor, but a couple of mayors Uh, back. It was uh, um, Jack Evans. Jack Evans. Yeah, he, uh, I guess, had... uh, uh, convenient amnesia when it came uh, to where he was, uh, you know, with all of these uh, LGBT people crowded into this LGBT church. Um, or he did a time, place, you know, and person. <laughs> hanging on his every word. Because apparently and, at the time, it wasn't appropriate for the mayor to speak to a Dallas, uh, the Dallas mayor to speak to a Dallas group of gays and lesbians and transgender and bisexual. Um, it just wasn't appropriate because we were not part of the city, apparently. Yeah. Right. Well, according to some politicians, we don't even exist. Well, you know, it's part of the caste system, you know. Do you know, we need to take a break again. This show is flying. Uh, you're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with uh, the late Patty Fink. Our guests are Viv and Louise. And we'll have more gay and lesbian LGBT history with them right after this. I'm Jelinski Brown with Research Center United Black Element, and I listen to Lambda Weekly radio program on 89.3 K9, the voice of the people. I am the people, so hear me speak. And this is Lambda Weekly. Uh, Vivian Armstrong and Louise Young are our guests today. Um, We're just talking a little bit about gay history. You know, we talked about gay history last week. I was thinking that to balance the show, we should have done gay math this week, but... Gay instead, math? instead, we're doing gay history again. Oh. Are we That's good okay. at math? No. Oh, okay. I, do we have people who are good at math? Yes. Oh, yes. We have some CPA we types. We have Alan Turing. Okay. There we go. That's right. true. Yeah. yeah. Well, That's so true. the gene is out there. Yeah. So let's go back to some LGBT history. Um, Louise, you worked for Texas Instruments for a division that uh, they sold, and they sold it to Raytheon. Texas Instruments was one of the pioneers in um, employee resource groups, in uh, partner benefits, in uh, non-discrimination protections. protections for their employees. They just had this funny idea that they just wanted the best people to That's work right. for them. Um, um, but you got to Raytheon, and they had none of these. And you weren't putting up with that. Well, <laughs> you had to start all over. You did it at Texas Instruments, the, and then you start know, all over again. Yeah. That, that was an interesting situation, and I believe it was in 97, and I was in the Defense Electronics Division of Texas Instruments, and uh, Texas Instruments wanted to concentrate on their semiconductor business, and so they sold uh, the defense business to Raytheon, which was based in Massachusetts, 
and uh, we had uh, TI had a non-discrimination policy that covered uh, sexual orientation but not gender identity or expression and we were at TI quickly moving toward uh, domestic partner benefits so it's almost like one day you've got them and then the next, <laughs> next day, day they're you gone. don't mm-hmm. but actually that's really a good talking point um, I, I realized that um, since I had been instrumental in getting the non-discrimination policy adopted at TI that I needed to do the same thing for Raytheon and so I set about to find the person at Raytheon or persons who could make that possible and that was a little bit difficult because the headquarters was in Waltham, Massachusetts and here I was in Dallas. And the president was a conservative, very much so. Yes. A defense uh, manufacturer, the conservative? president, uh, <laughs> C- CEO of Ra- Raytheon at the time was very conservative. I think his name was Dennis Picard. Yep. And uh, very conservative. So um, at any rate... Had to, had to figure out a strategy of how we were going to get there. And uh, the basic strategy was to get the word out to decision makers on the board of directors to find those decision makers who would really be attuned to the fact that uh, you could easily lose benefits and you know I think really almost every decision maker could see the at least see the validity in that argument that how can you have them one one day and the next day because you've changed companies, you can't. And and also, I talked to Raytheon, made the same argument that I did for TI, is you want to recruit and retain the best employees. Isn't that a conservative those, value? Pardon me? Isn't that a conservative value, though? Oh, it is a conservative value. But she also had help from some of Raytheon's, you know, behind the scenes, some of their leadership. In, in supporting that, and so it was good that it happened. Yes, you know, that and they I, went along with it. Right, found found those people, and um, um, a uh, the the uh, n- the new CEO, um, Bill Swanson. Well, Bill Swanson uh, was also. Um, named a diversity champion for Raytheon so I knew that uh, um, that Bill would want to 
uh, that that he would want to see the value in diversity and so I managed to be able to talk to him. Now how she manages, she says, I managed to do this. I don't know how she ever did it. She'd just come home and tell me, you know, I talked to so-and-so, da-da-da-da-da, and, you know, she worked it out. You know, she had, when she was working with TI, she'd work with all the different diversity entities with them, and she worked with them when she was in Raytheon, and so she just, she just has magic that way with working with people. Just elbows her way in, right? Well, well in, in, yeah. In that southern sort of way that, you know, people from Oklahoma learn how to do that. You know, well, I don't know about that. Maybe it's that, you know, I have this odd accent that, you know, they want to hear me talk. Uh, but there's another thing. You can take no for an answer or you can decide not to take no for an answer. Well, and the other thing is to develop what I call an elevator speech, which is to be able to make your point if you happen to be in the elevator with uh, someone important in the company if you're riding from the bottom floor to the 12th floor and you got to be able to make that point in that time frame that's what i developed an elevator speech Mm -hmm. of why it was important to have non-discrimination policy and raytheon and I have to admit, was very, very open <coughs> to um, see the point. And, um, you know, and good for them for doing it, because when American Airlines, uh, for example, adopted non-discrimination policies, they also had a lot of LGBT customers. Raytheon, being a defense contractor... <laughs> right doesn't. No, well, it does we now. Our community doesn't mind buy too many oh, yeah. missiles. Yeah, I was going to say, we're, they're not exactly in the consumer product part. Well, <laughs> but until until this administration, really, there really weren't LGBT people in the buying chain for the mm-hmm. government side. That's right. And there are now. Mm-hmm. But at that well, time, there certainly weren't. No. But, but again, it's uh, attracting and retaining the best talent. Mm-hmm. And you want to have policies in place that would that would do that, and that doesn't just mean um, the LGBT uh, employees themselves. It could mean their mother, their father, their best friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't just affect. Um, our community it affects friends of our community relatives of our community so um, it's easy to make it's easy to make the case and um, I'm just so glad that Raytheon uh, adopted the policy mm-hmm. and then I used it at, at the visiting nurse association when an employee friend of mine had um, his partner husband um, needed to have insurance and had uh, a job change, and um, they did not have any kind of uh, domestic partner benefits. Just sat down and said, "Happened over there. Got to do it." It's like, "Well, we'll see about it next year." I said, "No, it's been sitting. You know, all the information you had has been sitting in the HR for you know months. It needs to happen now." It happened. 
That's the trailblazing stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really mm-hmm. trailblazing yeah. stuff. But I mean, it's like, you know, kind of like a little house of cards. When one does it, it makes it easier for the next one and easier for the next one to do it, but also harder for them not to do it. Exactly. You know, and one point I did make with Raytheon was that uh, with with regard to uh, when we were going for domestic partner benefits, um, no other defense electronics company heretofore had adopted uh, domestic partner benefits and I told the higher-ups I said there's only going to be one first and then all of the other defense companies that come after in the publicity that they get for example that Boeing would get or you name the company, Mm -hmm. they'll refer, well, but Raytheon was first. (laughs) And sure enough, that did happen. Mm -hmm. Because you can't talk about the second without mentioning Mentioning the first first or the third Mm -hmm. without mentioning the first. I'll tell you, people in Raytheon PR picked up on that immediately. And then it's like, oh, well, we want to be first. (laughs) Oh, that was... Oh, that that was a good day. That, that was a good day. How long did it take between the time that uh, you first contacted Raytheon uh, and the new policies were adopted? Um, boy, less than six months. Ah. Wow. Yeah, it it was she a lot faster. It. it, you know, you have to get a little experience under your belt. <laughs> and you had done this before. You yes, knew yeah, I'd done it with T.I. Yeah. And, yeah. and she had Raytheon, you know, the former T.I. diversity folks, you know, there to support her, too, because they'd all been working together on on the T.I. one mm-hmm. and stuff. I remember well, the the Out and Equal organization awarding um, major awards to, uh, not just to you, but to some of their C-level people and mm-hmm. and players within Raytheon and that's mm-hmm. got to be gratifying on their end to oh, say sure. I did the right thing I got a I got you know affirmed in this way by an organization mm-hmm. that that yeah. monitors this stuff nationwide yeah, yeah Luis has an Audi um, I don't know it's not a plaque it's a kind of like an Oscar an <laughs> Audi an Audi yeah from out yeah. and equal <laughs> Not not your belly button. <laughs> That's awesome. That's really awesome. We're talking to Viv and Louise. Uh, they've been together for 50 years, and we decided to have them on to help celebrate their 50th anniversary. Uh, so we just have a few minutes left, so I want to go back to the fact that it is your 50th anniversary. Um, we were talking at the very beginning of the show about advice that you have for staying together for 50 years or however long uh, you live, and I mean it that way. Mm. Your commitment to each other, even without the help of a wedding ceremony at the beginning of your relationship, was till death do you part, and you because mm-hmm. you meant it. Mm-hmm. When did you first know that you were committed to each other? I think it was when I moved to Oklahoma from Colorado. And yeah, I, that would do it. That would yeah. that speaks <laughs> volumes. <laughs> the commitment was there. Yes, I'll, I'll and agree her parents with that. were 
just absolutely wonderful. And the reason Viv was moving from Colorado to Oklahoma was that I had uh, uh, been offered a teaching position at an Oklahoma college, and so um, I asked Viv to come to Oklahoma with me, and uh, she agreed to do so. That's that's really awesome. The, mm-hmm. the U-Haul, is that the whole cliche? Almost. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I had to teach her some Oklahoma ease, you know, <laughs> because I said, speak slower and pepper your remarks oh. with y'all. I had to, I, really, because no one understood me when I first went shopping in town. Nope. And I come home and I go, they didn't understand. And she said, you have to slow down and say y'all. And so I go in and I say, y'all have some. Now, I'm, I, my speech pattern has totally changed. You can tutor others from moving here from California That's how true. to talk. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, it's been wonderful having you on. The next oh, show is about to come yeah, in. It's so. been our pleasure. Yes. And we'll do it for your 60th? I sure. Hope, I Why hope, not? I hope. We're still around. I hope the I'm studio's intact then too. Yeah, we've had a history of blowing away. Oh, hush. so we've got a we've got a new studio well, and we want to keep it. It's New Orleans is blowing today, unfortunately. Yeah, we're but, thinking about that yeah. today. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But so having gone through that, yeah, Dallas tornado. Yes. we certainly understand high winds and what they can do. Yes. Next week, our guest is Stephen Gross. He's the author of the simplest baby book in the world, and he talks about gay couples having children um for all of us here at lambda weekly happy anniversary happy anniversary y'all thank you very much should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to Be forgot in days of old lang syne. For old lang syne, my dear, for old lang syne, we'll take a cup of kindness yet.
ladder I had. This sorry for me gone away, and all the sweet ladder I had. They wish me not to more to stay, but since it falls unto my lot that I should rise and you should not, I gently rise and softly call. Good night and joy be with you all. Should old acquaintance be forgot.